Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Cody Daniels with Cody Daniels Guide Service. And Cody is going to talk about southern muskies. And I'm not talking southern Wisconsin muskies. I mean south as in Tennessee. And I know, don't send me any hate emails about how you don't want to hear from anglers in the south. We're trying to broaden your horizons. And so if for some reason you don't want to hear about how Cody catches muskies in the south and the fisheries down there, feel free to skip this episode and join in next week. I apologize for the inconvenience. But we're just trying to, you know, spread our wings a little bit and, and catch different musky anglers. So that's the way I feel. Brad Hoppy is back as the co-host this week. And he brought with him his little friend, Chase Gibson. Uh, musky bumper, you might know him from. Chase Gibson's guide service. Boy, Brad, those uh, guys from down south, they use really clever guide service names, huh? Well, we, we gave them a few names before we started recording, so maybe they'll change it up. <laughs> I'm guessing not. Um, <laughs> Brad, it's good to have you back, though. I mean, uh, we we're we we're struggling without you the last, last week. I had to do it all by myself with Jensen, and then Carrie's on vacation, so we didn't even put a social media post out for his uh, episode yet. We're really dropping the ball all over the place. Yeah, that's a fact, but... Terry is uh, in a well-deserved little vacation here, and I'm holding down the fort, and we've been fishing a bunch, so it's that time of the year, Jeff, I guess, uh, kind of just winging it at this point. Right. I get that. I've been doing a little bit of fishing. The fish were actually pretty happy until this warm-up. I don't know how it was for you, but I snuck away for a little while this week, just a, a shorter trip, but I got on the water, and water temperatures were rising and the muskies were not nearly as happy as they were before. Is that something you've seen this week as well, or are you still catching lots of fish? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, there's no question about it that the, uh, the patterns kind of changed a little bit with the warm up, but you know, it's interesting enough. Chase actually fished a couple more days than I did this week. And as it progressed, you weren't seeing the follows. You might see some sitters if you're fishing shallow, but uh, he was at least getting bit the last couple of days. We just don't have a consistent weather pattern like we once did, or maybe we think we once did. I don't know if it's uh, just in our heads or if it's actually happening that way. But honestly, uh, I guess it slowed down the progress- progression of the fall bite. And I would say, you know, as we go into this next cool down, it might uh, carry out a little bit into October. So I'm not going to refuse that. Yeah, I was just curious. It's been a little while since I talked to you. In fact, I think I hadn't even actually like talked to you in person until, or I mean, on the phone or whatever, until just today or whatever. From uh, let's see, or when we when we recorded with Steve Hiding, I think that was the last time I talked to you. So you've probably been on the water. Like overall, how's your September been? It's been good. I mean, we uh, we struggled a little bit. We had the first cool down which then all of a sudden came to a big screeching halt with a secondary cold cool down, which uh, they put the dampers on things for a few days. And we struggled through that. We did some filming up on Leech with uh, Matt Seifert. We got the job done, but at the end of the day, it was not quite the way we thought it was going to be. Um, I think that secondary cold front really kind of put those fish uh, off a little bit, if you will. As it stabilized, fishing really turned on. I mean, we had some really good fishing this last week. That's great. 
hopefully that continues. Like you said, it looks like, I mean, if you look at long-range forecast, so far it doesn't appear as though we're going to have any major issues as far as cold and you know, extended cold. I mean, it's supposed to cool off a little bit, but nothing too, it's just seasonable, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, the other thing, you know, when people listen to this, you're going to be two days away from the full moon. So we're going back into another full, uh, into another moon phase. And I don't know, things are looking like they're going to line up. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, Thursday, whatever it might be that you're listening, be excited. I mean, that weekend's going to carry through and you're going to have another moon phase with another cool down. And I, I honestly think that things could be fire. So I have to ask Brad, you know, a lot of times we talk like during the five questions at the end, I typically ask about moon. Were you seeing over this last uh, new moon period, right? It was new moon, right? I think it was. They were going yep. going into full. Yeah. Were you seeing that mid that midday major was a solid bite window? Because I had been seeing that myself, but I was just curious if that carried over by you. Yeah, I definitely would say that that was a big factor. But honestly, I think a, a bigger factor to all that was the weather. And I, we've always say this, you know, that weather trumps all. And uh, we had a consistent bite as well as follow rate throughout the whole midday time that correlated with the major, but honestly we were catching fish throughout that whole thing because we had massive wind as that warm up started. It definitely was a key point to the success. We had a couple calm days during those calm days. We were seeing fish, but we weren't getting the bites until after sunset and uh, moonset was correlated with that as well. So we did get some fish after dark as well. Um, but the midday bite, and the midday uh, sightings were really, really strong. Now, as we head into full moon, I guess if you could offer up a tip for helping people put a muskie in the net, what would you say to them? The biggest thing is, is you don't catch them from the couch. So the people that are willing to actually put the time in and they're going to find those windows throughout the day, it might correlate with a major or minor, but honestly, it's more about putting your time in so that you figure out those windows. Yep. No substitution for time on the water. We've said it a million times on the podcast. Yeah, because ultimately those moon phases might mean something, but I will be honest with you, you know, through the new moon, say a week and a half ago, two weeks by the time this comes out, it definitely was before the major is where we've seen the peak activities. And once the major came, you might still get a bite, but you were seeing a bunch of fish during that time frame as well. So, it doesn't always land on the predicted time. And if you're not fishing hard during those other off-peak times, you're probably missing the boat. Absolutely. So if you're still out chasing muskies, and we hope many of you are, because now is the time many of us muskie anglers look forward to, although many of us muskie anglers also hunt, so you have to make decisions, but hopefully you're choosing to be on the water. If you're looking for gear, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. If you're specifically looking for rubber baits, we just got reloaded with a pile of bulldogs. I hope by the time we hear this, we should be re- reloaded on medusas as well. So if you're looking for rubber baits to extend in the fall, you can do that. And, you know, bucktails, We I say it all the time. We have an order here from Musky Mayhem. I got to check in yet tonight. I just got some baits from Spanky and Musky Frenzy as well. So if you're looking for bladed baits, you could certainly get those from us as well at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. But if you want the largest selection of bladed baits from the original big bladed flashy boo bucktail company, 
Brad, take it away. <laughs> well, you can always pick up Musky Mayhem Tackle right at Team Rhino Outdoors. they got a ton of customs, that's for sure. But you can also go to muskymayhemtackle.com, and you can find anything that we actually make as a standard, as well as build your own custom right on our website. So check it out. All right. I think I don't have any uh, thing to add to this intro, so let's just go dial up our conversation with Cody Daniels. All right. Our guest this week is Cody Daniels with Cody Daniels Guide Service. Cody, we want to thank you for taking time out of your Friday night to talk musky fishing with us. Cody, let's, uh, let's just jump right into it. Let's jump into history, background, what got you into musky fishing, what got you into fishing. You want to talk a little bit about your guide service? That would be cool too. So why don't we just kind of jump right into it? Sounds good. So, uh, pretty much I've been, I've been fishing since I was in diapers. I mean, what got me into fishing was my, uh, my papa was a big crappie guy. Grew up on Melton Hill here in, in Bull Run Creek, um, right beside the boat ramp, actually, where before it was flooded, their house was actually where the, where the lake is now. And so I, I started out crappie fishing when I was young, you know, and then, uh, after he passed away, I progressed into bass fishing, you know, and wanted to be the next Bassmaster Elite Series guy. And, Somewhere around 2007, eight, somewhere around in there. I think it was like the end of 2007. My grandmother used to drop me off at the boat ramp pretty much every day during the summer. And she'd drop me off and leave me and go to work or whatever and come back and get me that evening. And um, so I'd saw this guy there for like two weeks, putting his boat in and out. And finally, one day he walks over. He's like, hey, man, uh, you want to hop on the boat? And uh, I kind of looked at him weird, you know, and he was like, uh, He's like, well, you can use my, my phone and call your mom or whatever. And he's like, my name's Billy Davis. Tell your mom my name's Billy Davis. You know, so I called my grandma and she's like, I know him. You know, come to find out they're family friends. And uh, so I jump on the boat and go out. We actually went striper fishing the first time we ever went fishing together. And went out, caught a big skipjack and put it under a balloon and caught like, I don't know, a mid 30 pounder or something like that. You know, we kind of started fishing together a little bit more. and. Next thing you know, he's like, hey, man, you want to go musky fishing? You know, about September rolled around. I was like, yeah, what's a musky, you know? And he's like, well, let's go, and uh, you'll get, you'll, I'll show you one. I was like, all right. And we went and fished, put in at Bull Run Creek, and uh, went out, and, I don't know, we fished probably four or five hours, and, and he caught one. Um, I still remember it was a 38-incher, and he caught it on a rainbow nickel cowgirl in the figure eight. And as soon as I saw that fish in the net, I was like, it's over. <laughs> it, it's over. And uh, so then I uh, figured out that he had a website and a forum, and we had a musky club here back then. And after that, I kind of quit bass fishing and crappie fishing. And uh, the muskies absolutely consumed my life for the rest of till currently. I mean, but that was, that was kind of, that was what got me into musky fishing was, um, met Billy Davis and he took me fishing when I was 10 years old, 11 years old, somewhere around in there and showed me my first musky. The rest is kind of history. I mean, been pretty blessed to grow up here and see the, the fishery develop and kind of make a full circle to, to what it is now. It's, it's been pretty cool. You know, it's definitely been pretty cool. Everybody's got somebody 
that they can go back to that ruin their life, right? We all do. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, people people think a drug addiction's bad. I mean, I got a few thousand baits, and I mean, I know there's guys out there that have a lot more baits than I do, but yeah, I got I got a few thousand baits, and every time something comes out, I'm like, man, I gotta have that. You know, I gotta have four or five of those at least, and it's just it's never ending. And there's just something about these fish that you know they're not for everybody, but the people that it clicks with, it just it consumes them. I don't necessarily think it's it's all about catching the fish for me. It's more the hunt and you know kind of the story behind each fish. I mean, uh, there's not many fish that I've caught over the years that I don't remember. You know, e- even back to some of my first few muskies I ever caught, it's I can still remember them pretty pretty vividly. You know, it's uh, it's kind of stuff you keep with you forever. Well, the beauty of it is now, basically, you, uh, you're guiding every day, right, Cody? I mean, if you're not musky fishing, you are doing some striper fishing as well. And Tennessee offers a ton of different uh, opportunities down there. Why don't you talk a little bit about Tennessee, the water that you fish? I know it's multiple bodies. Um, kind of share with the listeners about that and then maybe talk about your guide service and how people can get a hold of you. All right. So, uh, you know, Tennessee is pretty unique as a whole, especially East Tennessee, um, where I'm at around the Knoxville area, Oak Ridge area, you know, we have, we grow giant, giant strippers and we grow some pretty big muskies and we, we actually grow some pretty big walleyes too, um, which I got for all three. You know, what kind of makes it unique about this place is, um, on, on Melton Hill, for example, you know, Norris Dam is what feeds Melton Hill Lake. And there's not, many places in the country where you have muskies and you have a you know per se trout system that's 50 degrees year round pumping into that lake that feeds it so you know our our fish here grow very well and they're never stressed if they don't want to be i mean they can always be in you know 60 to 70 degree water if that's where they want to be and it makes for some really good striper fishing too i mean you know, back in the 90s, the, the state record striper was caught out of Melton Hill. It was, I think, 63 pounds and some change, um, which I don't, I don't know how many people know much about strippers, but that's a, I mean, that, that's like the equivalent to a 58-inch muskie. I mean, that that's almost as big as they get, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful fishery, nice water, and we have quite a few lakes around here that grow on big. Um, so, so I do some trips on, I do striper trips on Teleco, Fort Loudon, Watts Bar, and then a couple lakes I don't want to disclose the name to just because they're real low density, but they grow them really big. And then Milton Hill, of course. And, you know, we, we target those with, with big live bait. We do a little bit of lures for the strippers, but it's typically big live bait, um, big skipjack herring. And then, you know, the, the muskies, you know, I, I got them 11 months out of the year. You know, March is pretty much the only month that I don't offer muskie trips. Um, that's because, you know, our fish are generally spawning. Sometimes it bleeds into April, but typically March is, you know, our, our spawning month, and I kind of leave them alone and let them do their thing. And they just, you know, they run way up the lake and run up the tributaries, and they kind of get hard to find anyways. So, How much uh, naturally production do you think you got? there uh not enough to sustain the fishery you know, i'm, I'm kind of glad you you brought that up i've 
I've been playing with the idea of trying to get a Muskie's Inc. chapter started here to try and help the DNR here with, with some sort of, of stocking because the last four or five years we've not had, I mean, 300 fish, you know, and 400 fish, four to six inches. And, you know, it's a, it's not a huge lake, but, you know, it's, I think it's 5,690 acres with like almost 200 miles of shoreline. So, you know, that, that's a lot of surface area to spread out. My home lake, Stonewall, is, is very similar. As it's not big acreage-wise, but it fishes really big. Um, oh, mine's there's only so many, many places. Yeah, yeah, they could be anywhere. We got tons of shoreline as well, and we're in the exact same boat. I, I'm afraid that we're even worse, maybe, as far as getting getting fish stocked. It's, it's been pretty horrible the last four or five years, and it doesn't seem like anything's going to change for whatever reason. But that's why I was curious about the natural reproduction. I don't think anywhere really has enough natural reproduction to really sustain a really good fishable population other than maybe like leech up here in St. Clair. Yeah. Um, but yeah. those are, those are giant bodies of water, right? So down around us, I, I feel like the natural reproduction that we do have is not much, but we do have it in pretty much all of our waters. So I think it's cool to have that. That way there's always going to be some fish there, even if they're not stocking that much. The stocking definitely does help, obviously. Yeah, and I, I agree, but but you know the stocking's nice because it can take, you know, what I've really noticed in the last you know four or five years, um, especially on the lake, is you you go from having you know you go from seeing like ten, fifteen, twenty fish on like a really good day, and catching you know having a shot at three or four or five fish to seeing six fish, four fish. And having a shot at one fish, you know, you know, on a if you're on an active feed, you know, those smaller fish they really fill in that void, you know, kind of that lull time because you know the the smaller fish seem to be a little bit more aggressive and um, they're a little easier to trick, I think, um, than the fish that have been caught a couple times and have a PhD, you know. So the the small fish is I, th- I think they're very very important to a fishery. I mean, I, I would love to go out and say, yeah, I haven't, I haven't caught a, a 45 or, you know, a 48 in three months. Cause all I'm catching is, you know, 30 to 40 inches. There's going to be such a big gap in our year class of fish. Um, if we can make something happen and, and get some good stalking, you know, there, there's going to be a crazy year gap, which we saw that back in, uh, back around 2010 is, uh, when Melton Hill kind of peaked. Um, so they, you know, just a little back history. So they, they reintroduced the muskies in 1998 and did an initial stocking of 8,000 fish. And then about 2003, 2004 is when guys really started kind of catching them. You know, the bass guys started catching them here and there. And, and then in 07, 08, when I started, um, you know, we were getting some mid 40 inch fish. I think 2009 was the first 50 incher I ever heard of on the lake, and it was a 51. Um, you know, the first legitimate 50. Um, so they grow pretty quick, but the the number of fish that we had back then, it was just unreal. You know, it's I'm sure y'all have heard about Bull Run Steam Plant. Dahlberg came here and filmed a show years ago on on trying to get the steam plant shut down because we were pressing for it pretty hard. And so all that was is a hot water discharge. It's like two acres. You can kind of get what happened. I mean, every fish in the system made a pass through that steam plant at some point throughout the winter. And, 
it used to run just nonstop from November all the way until April, pretty much. And so we always had 65 degree water and the fish just grew like crazy. And there was just always tons of fish in there. And then some guys figured out you could catch them on trout. Um, cause you can fish with trout here. A local tackle shop up the street started selling them and they just started killing the crap out of them, you know, gut hooking fish and dragging them up on the bank and hauling them out. And that was when we had a 44 inch size limit, which I'm glad we have a, we have a 50 now, you know, if, if you don't have those, if you don't have those small fish to replace the big ones, it's, uh, it's kind of scary. I mean, in a, in a thought, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that Milton Hill used to have tons of Northern pike in it back in the eighties. Um, I didn't know if you knew that or not, Chase, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they stocked pike in the 70s, in the, in the late 60s and 70s in Melton Hill. And, and it also used to have, don't quote me on this, it's just hearsay from all the old timers, but and a couple of the old guys at TWA. But I've heard that Melton Hill used to have more grass per acre than Gunnersville. And then in the late 80s, they killed it all out. Because when it would, when the millful and everything would die off in the fall, it'd go down to the dam, you know, cause a problem. And so they they sprayed it all, TVA sprayed it all, and then dropped pellets everywhere. And uh, but you know it was full of pike, and I, I mean I guess guys used to catch some pretty big ones. I mean I've seen pictures of of you know low forty inch pike, which is, is you know not a bad pike at all, and. But uh, TRA quit stocking them in the 80s, and they just went away, you know, because there was no nat- natural reproduction on them here because the water doesn't get cold enough for them to spawn. What well, seems to be that every all the research and whatever that I've done about Tennessee is that it just seems like everything that is in those waters down there gets humongous. And it grows, they grow fast, they get big. And one thing I find really cool is, like, a lot of the pictures that, that you've posted or just pictures of Melton Hill fish, um, it seems like, like, I think you sent me like a four footer or something, uh, not too long ago. And I was looking at that thing and I was thinking, man, that, that thing's got a tiny head for a four footer. And generally what that means in my, in my book, especially on like my lake back home is that it's a, it's a younger fish. They're, they don't have that big old head and that, like that they're growing really fast. And yeah. I do know the first, when I came down there for the first time there two or three years ago, um, I was amazed by how big your average size bait was. Like you got the, is it the, I don't even know what they are. The moon eye or whatever. Skipjack. Yeah, that's what it is, right? Oh, the skipjack. Yeah. We got, we, so we've got a bunch of different forage, but you know, their, their primary forage are the, the skipjack herring, which I mean, they'll get four pounds. Um, yeah. and then, you know, we have a lot of big gizzards and when I say big gizzards, you know, they're, they're eight to 12 inch gizzards. You know, they're not, yeah. they're not like the four to six inches that you see in a lot of places. They're, they're big gizzards and, and we have a lot of rough fish. You know, we have a lot of carp, a lot of quillbacks, um, suckers. And you know, that, that was Tita Ray's reasoning for putting the muskies back in there. So they say is to help control the rough fish population, but you know, it, it's, it's hard to beat shad. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the, the growth rate is just. And I, I think when the steam plant ran year round, I think we, we had, you know, a lot better growth rate because the fish could always be in 65 degree water, you know, year round. And I think, you know, back, back then we didn't really see too many 52 to 53 inch fish. And I, I think they were burning themselves out a lot, you know, just where they're growing so fast. I mean, we had, we had, I mean, I've got pictures of 50 inches that 
they they literally look like 45s up north where their heads are so small. Yeah, and, yeah that's what I, I found really cool about that. And the bay down there is just unbelievable how much there is and then how big it is. Like I, My lake in, in West Virginia is the same thing as far as the amount of bait, but I have gizzard chat and they're all two to six inches long. They're tiny. We used to have really big ones, um, but they kind of took over and now we just got an insane amount of bait and it's all little, which I haven't seen any uh, problems with that as far as fish growing wise. I mean, our fish are always stupid fat like yours, but I do believe after coming up here to Minnesota, I do believe to grow those extra giant fish, I'm talking like 50, mid 50 range and maybe even upper 50 up here is you need a place that's got like a Cisco in it. Seems like these Cisco lakes up here just grow them huge and, your, your water down there has very comparable uh, bait fish to a Cisco, and many of them, lots of them. So I, I think there's a good shot at you guys having some extremely fish, even though you you already have them, but even some more here in the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think you know I think a lot of it has to do with what you know what strain fish they put in the lake. We we actually they actually stocked leechers in our lake years ago, and I've caught a, a handful of them never any real big ones i mean i I, i've only had one that was over 50 so i don't really know what happened to them but several four footers you know and uh and i've seen some some fish that i'm pretty comfortable saying were were 54 55 inch fish you know all day but i mean you, you know how a class fish like that in the south is it's it's extremely rare and hard to come by and but but i agree i i really think that Milton Hill probably has the potential to grow some of the biggest muskies in the South. And, and I, I think a lot of it just has to do with the cool water and, and the huge bait population that we have. I mean, you know, there, there's not many places that, that fish can find cool water year round. I mean, it's uh, not without going deep, you know, mo- most places, you know, when it gets hot, they have to go to the thermocline. Well, all, all these fish have to do is swim up a river a few miles and, and they can be in, in sub 70 degree water if they want to be. Yeah, I've had a, a lot ever since I've came up here to Minnesota and whatnot. A lot of these, a lot of guys up here, I mean, that, that I've met that fished muskies their whole life and stuff, they, they didn't even know we had muskies in West Virginia. And, and I definitely get a lot of like, oh, you you catch 50 inches down there? I'm like, yeah, I've caught quite a few 50 inches down there. And like, really? I, I didn't even know you guys had big fish like that. And it's, it's funny because a lot of people think in the South we don't have big fish. But I will say this. The two areas in the South that I believe have the biggest fish is my waters and your waters. Um, for as far as catching consistent, consistent 50 and having a shot at a mid 50 is on our waters and your waters. And I, I, I simply think that's because we, we have very similar fisheries. We have there's smaller lakes because you know how having water in the South is you generally don't have great big giant bodies of water. So our lakes, protect themselves as far as they're small acreage but they're huge fishing wise they're very long and skinny and then they're loaded full of bait and the fish just get huge they can hide from people um i think that's a huge part to growing big fish is not having not getting caught five six times a year in their lifetime um that's not good for them so for them to get super huge they need a place that they can hide and a place full of bait and you definitely have that down there oh yeah and, and see what's what's really cool about down here is um you know you've been here enough so like on the top end of the lake like the the deepest water you're going to find is 30 to 35 feet 
you know, but you go, you go down towards the end, towards, you know, mid lake and down, um, there's plenty of 50 to 60 foot of water, you know, and, and fairly not, not giant areas of open water, but enough water that they can hide pretty well down there. And there's enough bait all over the lake that they could be literally from the dam 30 miles up river, you, you know, and which can make it challenging sometimes. But, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, I think you're right. I mean, that's what takes, you know, that's what it takes to grow a big fish is they got to have somewhere they can go. I mean, you, you look at those Minnesota lakes that grow big ones or, you know, the St. Lawrence, anywhere like that, they have a lot of places they can be you know, at any given time. And, and one thing I've noticed, I, I don't know about you, but down here I've noticed a lot of our bigger fish um, are real light blondes, you know, like the big ones when you do see them. Um, they're not really, like our, our fish that are shallow, that spend a lot of time in the weeds and the timber, I've noticed our fish are a lot darker. You know, they'll, they're a lot darker and a lot more colored up. But our fish that I think suspend and kind of stay deeper you know, more in more in the in the channel or, or down river, you know, down lake and in the open water, they're a lot lighter. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing up your way or not, but um, yeah, I, I have. Um, not so much as blonde, but definitely different colored. And the reason I believe it is is well, I, I strongly believe this. Most of my big fish are sitting on the bottom ninety percent of the time, and there's only yep. a certain certain couple days a year that uh those those big 50 inches are up off the bottom and they're sitting in structure where all the other fish are and those fish are definitely collared different 100 percent. they're big yep. and they're smart they live on the bottom 90 percent of their life yeah and i i think they i think they slide up on humps and weed flats for like you said a, a short very very short amount of time and and then they're gone again i mean because we we have a what I've noticed here a lot is, uh, and, it, and it's not just on the lake, it's on the river as well. Um, but a lot of the, the real big fish, and I'm talking like 52 pluses that I've seen those fish, you don't, you don't see them very often. And when you do see them, it's not like, like on green Bay or Lake of the woods or a couple of other places I've been where when you see a big one, you can go back on that fish for, you know, a few days at least before it kind of disappears. Usually our fish, if you see a big one, it, it may be there two days tops, three days if you're really pushing it. You know, if it's if it's winter time, I've seen fish you know hang around a little longer. But and in, in the spring, summer, and fall, our big fish, you know, you have they're they're on a spot maybe two days max, and then they're gone. And you may not yeah. see that fish for you may not see like there's a big one that I've I've been trying to catch on the river. It's a it's a probably 52 to 53 inch fish and. I've seen it three times this year and it's got a big scar on her side. That's, that's how I know it's the same fish. And the first time I saw her was like two miles from the dam. The second time I saw her was about six miles from the dam. And the last time I saw her, I was like three miles from the dam. And that was all, that's all been this summer. She's, you know, they're, she's just like the most of the big ones. They're big and they're smart and they're good at hiding. Yeah. <laughs> Cody, do you know, I mean, do you have a Tennessee strain of muskies at all? There's a few rivers that I don't think they're like a purebred Tennessee strain per se, because you know, so like there's a there's a little river that I don't know I don't want to give the name out of it, but it used to have naturals in it. Pretty much all our rivers over here had 
natural muskies in them. I mean, so like Norris Lake, the clinch runs into it out of Virginia. So before they dammed it up, it had naturals. Melton Hill had naturals, like all the, all the, you know, the, before they dammed it all up, all our bodies of water for the most part had natural muskies in them. And then when TVA dammed it up, it killed them out. Um, I think it just killed out of all their spawning grounds. But there's one natural river here that they don't, they haven't stocked it in like at least 15 or 16 years. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's been a very long time and it has a lot of fish in it and they look completely different and act completely different than the Milton Hill fish. So it's only been interesting. I mean, if you think about like, you know, you go to Kentucky, um, which I've spent some time and spent some time down by Chase in West Virginia. Um, then you can switch over to Virginia as well. But I mean, it's amazing to me how many of those bodies of water throughout all of the East and the South, they all had muskies at one point in time. And I find it interesting that a lot of these reservoirs, it seems like once things were dammed up, it kind of screwed up all of their natural habitat to the point where they didn't necessarily uh, spawn and go through the motions and keep a, a natural reproduction rate. I don't know. It's it's always bizarre to me to think about how great a fisheries we could have had had some of those reservoirs not been been made. Yeah, it's uh, it's and it and it's you know I don't think our natural strain grew that big. I mean, I, I used to fish that that river that's got some natural fish in it. You know, when I was like eighteen, nineteen years old, you know, so ten years ago, I, I used to fish that river pretty religiously. Um, and it's, it's one of those places that you have to, you either have to take a drift boat or some, or a boat you can carry in. Um, you can't get to it by a jet boat or anything cause there's waterfalls and all that good stuff. But I mean, I, I used to camp up there and fish it every weekend for probably four years. I, I mean, I fished it a ton. You know, it wasn't uncommon to get like a 47, 48 incher, but I, I've only had one fish that I've ever caught out of there that was, that was, you know, over 50 and it, it was a 51 and a half. And, uh, that fish had a big old head. You could tell it was old. It was, it was a post-spawn fish. It was beat to pieces. And so I, I don't think that our natural fish got quite as big as, as, you know, the, the hybrid strain fish that we call Milton Hill fish. Now it would have been pretty interesting to see, you know, how these fisheries were before they were dammed up, especially with the technology and the baits and everything we have now. It's, it's, uh, it's always fun to kind of think about, you know, even up North, what some of those fisheries were, you know, back in the seventies or eighties, if, if you had the technology and the baits you have now, just, just think if, if guys were throwing cowgirls back in the seventies, how many big fish they would have caught. I mean, who knows the the world record may have been caught on one. I think they all would have got caught. Oh, I, man, I, I still I, I still remember very very vividly you know because the cowgirls here didn't show up until like 07 like the year that I started you know 07 08 they were still a, a fresh thing here man I can honestly say you know we had you know like I said I grew I, when I got into it it was like perfect time and it was kind of like the perfect storm we had from like 2010 to 2015 our our average fish on the lake was 47 inches i mean it was just the perfect storm you know um it'll probably never be what it was it's kind of like malax back in the heyday you know it's just i mean you could see a 50 incher almost every time you went out and 
man, I, the amount of big fish that ate cowgirls was just unreal. I mean, it was like, it, it was crazy. I mean, it, it was, it I, was. <laughs> I definitely remember that time. I mean, until Bill was there at the Chicago show, um, and <laughs> it was pretty exciting. And obviously, Larry Dahlberg was fishing with me at that time frame, and I know he was down your way. But talking about baits and talking about the fishery, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's start talking about tactics on how you are attacking it today. I mean, I, the cowgirl. Obviously, I know you you still throw a bunch of mayhem products, and I truly appreciate that, Cody. But um, I know that you're doing some other stuff down there as well. I'll, I'll just kind of run through like a a yearly pattern. Um, so we'll start with you know post spawn fish. Um, and kind of work our way back around to pre-spawn fish or I can do pre-spawn fish and work my way around whichever, whichever you guys want. Either or that doesn't matter. Okay. So, you know, typically our fish quit spawning at the end of April or the beginning of April into March, um, usually the first week or two. And so, um, you know, most of our fish on the lake, they'll either run up creeks or tributaries or be back in pockets, you know, back in shallow water where, where muskies like to spawn the way that i like to approach is i try and find the warmest water that i can that time of year and it, it usually helps to find some water with a little bit of color in it it usually seems to hold more bait and you know after the spawn the fish are, are usually pretty hungry um so i always i always try and find the, the warmest water that i can it's usually got some color and a lot of bait and i, I usually start off throwing some gliders some smaller bucktails and a little bit of top water. We, we, we do pretty good on, on post-spawn fish with top water. So we kind of run that pattern out. It, it usually lasts here about a month. Um, and then on the lake, our fish will kind of start transitioning out of the backs of the pockets and uh, out of the backs of the creeks. And we'll follow them out to the creek channels or the the ditches that run into the pockets or, or the creeks. And um, we'll follow them out to there. And then after that, a lot of our fish will get on timber and uh, new weed growth. So you'll have you'll have some fish that I'm targeting in in the trees. Um, and when I'm targeting fish in trees, I usually look for, for about ten foot of water. And it's what I've noticed is our post spawn fish like to be in shallower water that is adjacent to deep water. And you know that may be, for instance, jackass holler. You know, a lot of the trees in there, I'm sure you all seen, they're, they top out at 10 feet or they're in, you know, 8 to 10 feet of water, but they can be in 25 feet of water with one tail kick. So so areas like that really hold a lot of fish. Um, and then, you know, they kind of hang out in the trees for a little while and then they transition on out and our fish will do a little bit of suspending, not too much. And then usually by that time, I have to, the lake's too hot. So I, I leave the lake and I go to the river. And by the time I start fishing the river, you know, by mid-May or so, those fish are uh, kind of starting to run an early summer pattern. You know, on our early summer pattern, that pattern kind of runs all summer. But we'll fish shallow weeds, you know, weed flats, weed humps. Typically, the ones that have more bait in them are better. And the bigger the weed flat, the better it seems to be. I mean, it just holds more concentrations of fish and uh we'll run some blades some rubber 
you know, fishing deeper weed lines as the summer progresses. That usually runs out until about this time of year. And then our fish kind of flip gears when the water gets about, I don't know, 72 to 74. Um, you know, we have a big push of, of fish going shallow. So then we're just up in the shallow weeds, you know, less than 15 feet. And we get a real good pattern going on blades, top waters, ripping some shallow rubber, um, fishing some fast moving glide baits. Beavers work good. I've caught some fish on, on the Royal Orbras, you know, out there in that 12 foot range. And then that pattern will run till the water kind of starts dipping into the high fifties. And then by that time, our, our, cause we have all mill foil. So our weeds will start dying off. And, uh, that's generally around November and we'll kind of follow the fish, you know, cause they transition out into the, to the deeper main lake stuff. Um, especially when they do the drawdown. And by drawdown, they draw all of our lakes around here, get drawn down in the wintertime, the winter pool. On the river, it gets drawn down four and a half feet. It pushes all the fish out of a lot of the creeks and the shallow weeds onto to the main river and main lake stuff. Um, you know, rocks, deeper timber, and things of that nature. And we'll start fishing a lot of bigger, bigger rubber, you know, pounders, mag dogs, husky deuces still fish some royal orbras and we get a really really good glide bait and twitch bait bot and that runs all winter um all the way until february pretty much like there's a there's just a killer glide bait bot all winter but the the biggest deal is finding the shad in the winter time you know your biggest concentrations of bait are, are going to be the areas where your holds the most fish which i guess that's that's the same way up near chase you know, you, you want to follow the, the, the schools of, of gizzard shad and big concentrations of bait. Yeah, for sure. I uh, What you have compared to what I have is, is a lot different in structure-wise. What I noticed there is you got a lot of mud flats, and I think you were telling me that some of those mud flats used to have weeds, and they some still do and whatnot. Um, when me and Brad were down, was what was that, April? Uh, end of April, beginning of May. Yeah, end of April, beginning of May, and I kind of just fished it like I would back home, and yeah. I did a lot of a lot of the timber stuff. Um, and I don't know, I, I like I, I've only been on there maybe, I think I've only been down there twice. Do you have much standing timber? Or is all the timber that you have is mainly it's all down? it's all laydowns. We don't have any standing tim- timber on Melton Hill or the river. It's it's uh, they logged it before they flooded it. Um, so we yeah. don't have any standing timber. That's what it seemed to me. I, I didn't think there was any timber, but I knew the laydown thing was a good thing. And I actually extremely enjoy fishing laydowns. Um, I know you probably do too, because anyone that's done it loves it. But uh, I don't know. It, it's really interesting how how much shallow structure you have. And I know you you said before that most most of your fishing's in twelve foot of water less, which. I would say it's very different compared to my water because I have so much deep standing timber that's in 50 foot of water and it comes to the surface. So my fish right. are no deeper than 12 feet, but I'm, my boat's in 50 foot of water and we're casting in the trees that are coming out. So the right. shallow water aspect of it down there is extremely cool to me. Um, and anyone that musky fishes, I'm sure 90% of us would rather catch them in five foot of water than catch them in 50 um, just because you get such a better opportunity as far as you can catch them on burning bucktail, 
uh, top waters, but the top water thing is another thing I'm very envious about with your your water than mine. <laughs> yeah, we get a good top water bite. <laughs> you seem to get an insane top water bite, and I cannot wait to get down there one day and do that, especially because you're catching some big fish on top water. My yep, lake, yep. I have done it over and over and over trying to catch some fish on top water, and I've caught a decent amount of fish, but I've never caught anything real big. Just does not seem like our fish will get up there where they will eat the top water real good, our bigger right. fish. Right. So that's extremely cool for down there where you are. When, when is the best time for the top water um, season for you? Or is it kind of year round? So, so I mean, I've caught fish year round on top. I mean, so the, the coolest water that we usually see is around 45, 46, 47. Um, and, and I've caught them pretty good on top water and, and, in those temperatures some years, but typically our, our best, I'm going to give you four months because you get two months in the spring, which is late April or the very beginning of May. So I, I would say May and June, um, which part of that's on the lake, part of it's on the river and then September and October are, are, like the four months where I throw, I'm beating blades to death and beating topwaters to death. Um, yeah. You know, and that, that's usually when our fish are the shallowest and, and easiest to target. You know, I, I think I think it's a lot easier to get them to commit to a topwater when, you know, they're, they're sitting, you know, five foot down and, and five foot of weeds than it is trying to drag them, you know, because your fish may be sitting 20 foot down on that tree. You know, and it, it's just a lot easier, I think, when you're beating them across the head with with a with a cannonball junior or a flat tail or you know, or a, or a big weagle. You know, it's, I think it's just a lot easier to get them to come up and commit to that th- than it is when they're sitting down a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, I think there's something to be said about weeds and top water. I don't know what it is, but all the southern fisheries that I've been to that do, that does have good weed growth and good weeds, there's usually a good topwater bite there. My water, we have horrible weeds, and people like from Minnesota would absolutely laugh if I told them that this is a good weed pop patch because it's the size of a truck. But there'll be three right. fish sitting in it. <laughs> and the only the only topwater that I really keyed in on good is in those weed patches. And a little bit this spring, I will say, this spring it seemed like the little bit that I did get out, um, the fish were sitting in that timber, but they were less than five foot of water, less than five foot down on that, on the tree. So you can be in 40 foot of water and the fish is less than five feet down, which I think used to be very normal, but I didn't have electronics to know that back in the day. Cause there used to be a really good burn in the showgirl bite in the, uh, in the tops of those treetops. And it's right. still good, but it isn't what it was. And Brad came down and the fish were like three feet under the surface in the timber. And I could see them because now I have side imaging and live scope. And right. uh, he, he kind of surprised me. He put a cannonball junior on, which is nothing that I would ever throw at those fish ever before. And a nice mid forties came out and ate that cannonball junior. And I'm like, Oh, well, that was cool. I need to think about that a little bit more. So I think I have it. I just haven't tapped into it yet. But most years they go from, Tree spawn to sitting 10 feet down on a tree, and I've never been able to get one come up from 10 feet of water or 10 feet down sitting on a tree to the top water. And I've tried that a lot, but um, I don't know. I, I just think it's super interesting, uh, the, the fishery that you have. And I think 
I think it would be a very fun place to, to spend some time on because of the just how you're catching them. I mean, who doesn't love catching a fish on a bucktail or a topwater? That's the, that's the best thing you can do. Right, yeah. Um, so one one cool thing I want to throw in here. So I forgot to mention this earlier, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You know, they killed all the weeds out in the 80s, whatever. Um, so starting out, all we had were laydowns on the lake. We had zero weeds, none at all. In 2012, they kind of just showed up in a cove one day, growing a patch of millful. And then by the end of that summer, there was weeds everywhere on the lake, which it's not as there's not as many weeds now as there used to be, but there's weeds everywhere. So used to fishing the deep laydowns and whatnot, the only topwaters that I could catch fish on were walk the dogs, like five and a half, eight, and ten inch weagles. I'd never caught a fish on a prop bait, never caught a fish on a flat tail. All I could get them on was walk the dogs, fishing them slow. You know, that, that real slow, just choom, choom, choom. As soon as the first year we had weeds, I bought some prop baits because I, I, you know, I'd tried the whopper ploppers and that whole deal years before, even fished them in the steam plant, you know, in the wintertime when there was literally hundreds of fish in there and couldn't catch fish on them. As soon as we got weeds, I started catching fish on prop baits. I'm not, I'm not sure if that has any correlation or, you know, but it, it was, it was really odd that it was as soon as we got weeds, I started catching fish like very consistently on prop baits. And I'm not, what I'm getting at is I'm not sure if you've tried the big slow moving walk, the dogs on that deep flooded timber. Um, I have walked the dog. I've tried about anything you can think of, honestly, and I've gave everything a pretty fair shot. Um, I can't say, well, I'll retract that. I haven't tried a walk the dog that much in the timber. I've tried it a bunch when I'm catching them on other topwaters, so I will definitely try that. If it needs to go really slow, I'll probably struggle, but I'll try it. The one thing you got to know, Cody, about Chase is that when you're done fishing at the end of the day, your, your tackle boxes are empty. And the baits are just kind of scattered and piled up in the boat. <laughs> oh, I'm the same. I spend. I, I'm the same way. I'm. I, I spend thirty minutes at the end of every day at least putting baits up. Um, oh, we, we don't do that at the end of the day. So we, <laughs> you we just, just leave let them out. Them yeah, for like a week or two, maybe three. It's something yeah, efficient, right, and, Cody? Please say yes. I, I try and keep. I actually try and with with the new bay boat, I try and keep the floor somewhat clean. Just because I don't, you know, if I was running a ranger, it'd be real easy to pile them up on the back deck beside me. But with with the bay boat um, and and the amount of striper trips I do, I have to I have to take my stuff in and out quite a bit and change things around. So I don't get the luxury anymore of, of having two hundred baits laying on my deck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do I do believe that the southern fishermen. Um, we all do that. I mean, look at Greg Thomas. Look at look at his boat half the time. You see a picture of fish in his boat. There's baits everywhere. Look at oh, mine. Mine's were... exactly the same way. I can't help it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's how I fish. If you look at old pictures of my last boat, I had a, a War Eagle center console, and it had like the, you know, the boats that have the, the aluminum boats that have the groove gunnel all the way around them, the track system. Yep. If you look in, in a lot of those old pictures, I've got nothing but like, I've probably got 200 baits hanging around the front of the boat in those gunnels. 
and uh, yeah. and usually a few piles of baits on the floor because I just I have a I have a problem. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't like throwing two hundred different baits in one day? That's how you keep them clean. Yeah, if you if you don't, the blades will tarnish and the hooks will start getting rusty, and you gotta you gotta right. keep them in, in you gotta keep them you know well lubed. You know, one of the things that we haven't talked about, Cody, is how people can get a hold of you. And uh, I, I wanted to do that at the beginning of the show, but honestly, I mean, Tennessee offers such a great fishery, and you're on top of those fish every day. So if somebody wants to book a trip, maybe you should share how they can get a hold of you. So anybody that wants to get a hold of me, they can either hit me up on Instagram at Cody Daniels God Service or Facebook under the same thing. Um, or you can give me a call or text at 865-249-1010. Yeah, and, and the other thing to that, I mean, you've talked about it a little bit, is I didn't realize you did some walleye guiding as well, but the muskie side as well as the striper, you know, and I think that's a key part to this whole thing too. And what's what's really cool about here is, like you guys will be, you guys will be iced up before too long, and I'll still be chunking away. You know, we I can fish twelve months out of the year here, which is nice. It's it's pretty cool, and there's always something biting. Whether whether it's between the walleyes, the strappers, and the muskies, there's there's always something you know to do and something that's that's biting. I mean, we get some really really unique bites. One little bite I want to talk about that's it's hard to time and it doesn't happen every year on the muskies, and I'm pretty certain it probably doesn't happen i'm not sure because i've never heard but i want to say it probably doesn't happen anywhere else in the country um just because i don't know of anywhere else that has muskies that has 50 degree water that pumps into it but we get a really really cool sight bot in the spring some years and i'm talking like may and june where you can just drive around and cast at fish i mean it's it's very very incredible i was telling chase that y'all are gonna have to get down here if it happens next year it's uh very incredible that's all top waters and bucktails too it's pretty interesting and we also get a very good top water walleye bot in the spring i don't i don't know if anybody's ever done that before under the during the elwive spawn because they spawn at night and uh i do some trips for that um, typically in, in April and May as well. Um, but you go out and you parallel cast the bank where the, where the L are spawning and catch walleyes on top water. Yeah, that's, that's super wild, Cody. I, the only other top water, uh, walleye bite that I know of is Danny Herbeck up on Eagle. I know that I believe it's in August. He does really, really well where he's throwing small top water, even some small musky baits, top water. <laughs> and catching tons of walleyes. And I, I mean, I've never experienced it myself, but I've heard about it many times. That's a pretty unique bite. It, it's super cool, man. I mean, we catch them on, uh, on wake baits and walk the dogs for the most part. That's, that's the two baits that, that really get chewed. And the beauty about that bite though, is it's, it's fast action. I mean, you might have 40 or 50 blowups in one night. Um, you know, which all those aren't walleye, but you'll catch small mouth, large mouth, the hybrid, you know, a striped bass. Every once in a while, we'll run into a 20, 25-pound striped bass, which we're just throwing, you know, bass gear for that with braid. And it's a it's a really, really cool bot. It's it's definitely a bot worth worth uh, 
coming and checking out. It's it's a good time. Hey Cody, I want to I want to back up just a little bit to yeah. where Brad was giving me crap about using a bunch of baits, and you do the same thing. Yeah, I, I was sitting here thinking about that, and where I said that I think most southern fishermen are doing that, and I think the biggest reason we all do that is we have a lot of ever changing conditions in our in our water. Um, as far as like here in Minnesota, we got tons of different weather. But the water is not going up a foot every time you get a rain. You're not getting muddy water where all your fish are sitting in the middle of the day and all this other junk. Um, and I'm kind of curious, how often do you see high water or low water or how much does current play a factor down there for you in, in the so, lakes? So, so down here on the lake, Melton Hill doesn't, they, they never flooded. Um, and when I say that, I, I've seen it a foot over summer pool, you know, um, and then in the spring they do a drawdown. But so typically Milton Hill, I, I've seen it on some years where we're getting a bunch of rain. It can it can change eight inches to a foot in a day, like overnight. Um, and it can do that several times throughout the week. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that makes fishing here – very difficult is uh the tva dam system you know our our current is all man-made it's not it's not um you know strictly rain or wind dependent and when i say that is you know with our hydroelectric dams here though they may turn on you know just for example they may run norris at you know i'm just going to throw some numbers out here at nine thousand cfs for 12 hours and they'll run Milton Hill at 9,000 CFS for 12 hours and the lake may not drop any, but you'll have a two mile an hour current going through the lake, um, which turns it into a river, you know, and then all of a sudden they'll turn that, they'll turn both dams off and the water will stop. It'll just quit moving completely. And so you'll have a slack current. Sometimes it'll last 30 minutes. Sometimes it may be 12 hours and then our lakes will actually backflow when they're pumping in from the system above and not running the lake that it's pumping into as hard, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so you'll actually, your whole system, the whole system here will actually flow completely backwards. So that has, that has a big fact, that, that's a big factor on what the fish are doing, where they're sitting which I, I think that's a lot of why our fish move so much is our current is always changing all throughout the day. Like for example, this morning, fish this morning, there was zero current all morning. And then at noon, they turned on a generator at 9,000 CFS and everything started moving at a mile and a half an hour. And then at nine o'clock this evening, they turned it off, you know, which it went back to slack. You know, sometimes you'll have a feed, that's triggered by the current, you know, at random times throughout the day, you know, you get like a, a real good feed 30 minutes after the, the, the dam turns on, you know, and your current in the lake starts moving. Yeah. But I think, it's, I think it makes the fish kind of slide in and slide out a lot, you know, during right. slack water, I find the fish, you know, once the sun gets up with, with slack water, the fish are, they pretty much quit, especially under high pressure. And then, you know, your days where you have some clouds and some current, um, your fish will stay active a whole lot longer th than they will with no current and, and high skies. 
but it's it's very very unique and it's all it's really hard to stay on top of i, I don't know if if anybody else has to deal with that or not but down here that it's always a, a never changing thing i mean it, it's so current dependent i don't deal with i don't know i think you're the only one that deals with that to that magnitude um that's kind of why i was asking <laughs> that too i mean I, i've seen current like where i'm sitting fishing a lay down or whatever i can actually only remember it one time i was sitting there fishing a lay down and i could see little boils in the water from the lay down from the water getting drawn down and i thought it would make the fishing really good um so i ran some spots that i thought fish would pull up onto like i said i never have dealt with that before i'm sure you you'd have plenty of spots when you see that water's pulling you know where to go well i didn't have that and I found fish on those spots. Were they there because of the current or were they there just because they were there? I don't know. But I do know this. What was weird to me is that when they were pulling that water and there was current in the lake, I could not get them to bite anything. They would not move whatsoever. Um, But I have seen when you get a ton of rain and the water's coming up, I've caught them really good. But when anytime they're drawing my lake down, they're pulling water, it's just horrible fishing, it seems like. I can relate to what Chase is talking about based off the Missouri River walleye fishing, actually. Um, they generally like to run those dams during the weekends. So you might be able to, <laughs> they open the spillways on, say, Friday night or Saturday, and things start getting interesting. I mean, like, it, you're going to really struggle. But throughout the week, when they're not actually running those spillways, fishing is just remarkable to say the least and then as soon as that current starts it seems like it kind of screws things up a little bit for us but so i can relate to what he's saying but what i'm hearing from you cody is kind of the opposite if you're starting to see some of that movement it seems like you've got some spots where it kind of goes to fire oh yeah yeah and i i think the i think the biggest reason for that is it's it's our current is so consistent you know, it's not like it's off for three or four days at a time or a week at a time. It it run, it moves every single day to some extent. You know, so I think the fish kind of get accustomed to that. Whereas, like, you know, your fish up north they bite good under big wind because it creates current. You know, and it kind you kind of got spots that you'll go run. You know, once you have some current, you know, it's kind of the same way on like Lake of the Woods. I've never really fished anywhere in Minnesota, but. Like on Lake of the Woods, you know, you, you start fishing neck downs and things of that nature after a big wind because of the current and it, you know, pulls fish in, whatever. Here, our wind doesn't really ever create much current. Um, and I think it's just where, where like, we don't get the big waves. Like, if, if we have one to two footers on Melton Hill, it's blowing, like, 40 miles an hour. You yeah. know what I mean? Everything is so, oh, yeah. like... And I've seen it before, you know, I've tried to fish it and, and it's, uh, you know, it, when we get big wind here, you know, and, and I'm talking 30 plus miles an hour, it was big wind here. You can't fish it. And, and I think a lot of that's because I feel like what, you know, between being on Green Bay some and on Lake of the Woods, I feel like the big rollers that you get kind of help almost hold you in place a little better than if you're on just slick, calm water and it's blowing 40. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I've explained that to Brad as well. Because up here, I like fishing. I Like, fishing the wind, it was completely new to me. And I love it now. 
And I've thought about times exactly what you're talking about when there's white caps. And Stonewall is like, at the widest point, it's maybe 400 yards wide. So if I have white caps, it's blowing like 50. It's stupid. And I've only ever seen white caps out there twice. And ever since fishing up here, I've thought about that. And I remember thinking like, this is impossible to fish today because it's so blowing so hard, but you don't have big waves. But I think one thing that, that kind of messes us up, messes us up as well is that we have some, some mountains and I think that wind hits those mountains and it, and it funnels it down through the lake because the lake's obviously in the valley and it just makes that wind even worse and you can't get out of it. I don't care if you go into a cove, you're not getting out of the wind like you think you would. Right, it's and it's hard and to fish trees. Like, if, if you're just drifting a weed bed or something, it's not that bad. But, yeah. but like, in the wintertime when we're fishing all late, like, pretty much all laydowns, because we typically get our, you know, our pretty big wind in the winter a lot. But, like, that big, you know that big straightaway by Solway, between Solway yeah. and Bull Run Creek, that big straightaway there? So, I, I've seen legitimate two-and-a-half-foot rollers through that straightaway before it was pretty much impossible to fish anything through there because you're just blowing yep. so fast. Like, I mean, the wind's usually blowing 40 miles an hour and you got gusts of like 50 and, um, you know, your, your boat's just moving so fast. And, and what, what we have sometimes is when, when we get that big wind, you get like the Cici effect that Dick Pearson talks about on Lake of the Woods. I don't, I don't know if you remember that on his, video of muskies in the shield um but you get like here we get white caps because our river is flowing one way and the wind's blowing the opposite way if that if that makes sense and and it makes it really really challenging to stay on spots like especially timber spots you know boat control on laydowns and things of that nature because it'll it'll kind of blow you into the to the laydowns most of the time um yeah because we're not fishing weed flats at that time of area. We just, you could just kind of drift them, you know, do a controlled drift. But um, with the trees, it makes it very, very hard in the wind here to fish. Yeah. I mean, so. I like when we, I don't have the, the flats like you got. And <laughs> you get beat around on those, on the stadium timber pretty quickly. I mean, I actually just bought a new trolling motor and it's pretty funny. I got to thinking about it. You know, the little collar that your trolling motor slips down into so you can turn it. Yeah, do you already I had break about, it? Oh, I had about maybe ten percent of that thing left. Like I could barely turn oh. the trolling motor before, before this one died because oh. I've hit so many trees. You you just can't you can't do it. Well, like with us, we we don't have the standing timber, but you know a lot of our trees that we're fishing. You know, you're in ten or twelve foot of water, but the top of the trees a foot down. You know, so yeah. the, the foot of the trolling motor. They like if you just saw my old Trova the. I mean, I don't, I don't hardly think there was much paint left on the thing. It, it looked like it was, went through a war zone. Um, but between all the, all the, you know, laydowns that it's been ground against. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely, it's. I always, I always like listening to this and and hearing all the, all the different dynamics to fish in different areas. It's, um, it's always really intriguing for me because I'm, I'm stuck down here in the south. I don't. I don't get to go up to Minnesota and, and play with the, the real, real big fish like Chase does. <laughs> uh, it's, it's overrated. Our, our big fish are, are cooler. <laughs> that, that's what I like no, to tell it, people. It, 
Well, yeah, we all, everyone feels that it, it cracks me up. Everyone I've met in the industry, everyone always says, Oh, my fish are more pressured than your fish. They're so much smarter. And then a guy from I back home, says, everybody says that we all have pressured fish. All of our fish are smart. Everyone yep. does. It, it's all the same thing. It, it cracks me up because everyone wants to act like their fish are harder to catch. But in reality, they're all just muskies and they're all hard to catch. Um, yep, I agree. I agree. It, it's pretty funny. I don't know. Jeff, uh, Jeff, you ever made it down to Tennessee? I have not. Definitely place on my bucket list to go because I've heard good stories. And, you know, for us up here in the north, it would be nice to get away, at, you know, jump down there after show season in March and go catch a giant. Yep. Yeah, go catch giants on top water in, in, in March. That sounds really cool. And go catch <laughs> walleyes on top water. I've never heard of that one before, but I'm sure guys do it nah, up here, cares? but I don't know of anybody that has. Who it's, cares it's about cool. a tag on walleye? What's wrong with you guys? It, it's cool, but I will say that uh, the muskies are a lot, a lot cooler when they when they clobber a top water. Right. Well, well, we're pretty far into this episode, so let's jump into five questions, Cody. Chase, do you have anything that you would like to talk? Ask him. You know, when we do five questions, it's just uh, you know more like, do you prefer this or this? Like shorter answers. We're not. We don't need to drag this out forever, but. Okay. I guess my first one I would ask was on on Milton Hill specifically. Do you find our moon phases a big deal or not a big deal? Huge, very. I, I, I pay very big attention to to the solar lunar deal. It's um, and I'm a new moon guy. I'm, I like the new moon a lot better. So, yes, that's that's a big deal for me. So right away he goes and steals another question, but that's fine. All right. So moving on, let's go with, um, <laughs> how about if you're throwing rubber baits, are you going to pr- choose a bulldog or a Medusa? Straight out of the box. If I pick one, it's usually a double dog. Honestly. Okay. It's, it's usually a double dog. How about, do you prefer to run bucktails fast or slow? Um, fast. All right. Okay, Chase, that's three. You got anything on your end? I got one, but hate me. Okay, go ahead. Um, Cody, what is your morning routine for a guide trip? How early are you getting up and what's uh, what's the deal? Where do you get the gas station? All of it. <laughs> oh, morning. Oh, whole routine. So typically I get up about an hour and a half before the trip the house about an hour before the trip go to the gas station fuel up grab a sugar-free red bull and a body armor and a couple cans of dip and i hit the water i'm, I'm not a breakfast guy well, that, a breakfast the dip is your breakfast. pretty much yeah good old, good old copenhagen <laughs> breakfast of champions right there yeah that's 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 the the, the breakfast for big fish <laughs> i've noticed it seems like you get up extremely early is why i kind of asked that and uh i'll admit when I, even when i was guiding every day i'm sure some of my clients are listening uh they know well that i'm generally 10 to 15 minutes late no matter what i can't help it i'm sorry i'm but a, I'm a 30 noticed, minutes early kind of guy <laughs> yeah that's a good thing see see guys you should um, book with him <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm like i'm i'm a freak like uh, i'm a freak about being on time um so if i'm late there's usually like 
I haven't been late one time this year, but if I was late, there'd be a pretty good reason, you know, Will fell off the trailer or, you know, got robbed by a crackhead at the gas station. Something, something dramatic has happened. But yeah, I'm a 30 minute early kind of guy. I've got the boat in the water usually and I'm sharpening hooks and got the headlamp on ready to rock. Well, I always, I always have a tragic reason to why I'm late, but whether it's true <laughs> or not, it, it doesn't matter. Right, right, right. So then when we, uh, when we called him two minutes late for the podcast, he was probably wondering what's up, huh? You're, you were probably ready to go at six 30. Uh, I was, I was ready. Well, it's, so it's nine 30 here. So I'm an hour later than you. So I was ready at, uh, I actually had an alarm set for seven 45, which would be six 45 your time because, uh, I've been catching bait all evening for a striper trip in the morning and I didn't want to lose track of time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we definitely appreciate that. All right, last one. You talked about topwater baits and how they can be effective. What's your topwater of choice? Um, so that is all dependent on where I'm at. Uh, on the lake, it's honestly, now it's a, a Cannonball Junior. That's, that's pretty much my favorite topwater on the lake. And then on the river... It's probably a, a tie between a fat bastard and a flap tail, a big flap, um, which Chase turned me on to the to the bomb squads, and I'm I'm digging them pretty hard. I, I like them quite a bit. So that that's that's the three baits that I throw pretty religiously. All right. Yeah. Well, that's five questions. So Cody, before we let you go. If people are looking to venture south and get away from, you know, winter up here in the Midwest and come fishing with you, how do they go about doing that? So they can look me up on Instagram or Facebook under Cody Daniels Guide Service, or they can give me a call or shoot me a text at 865-249-1010. All right. Well, Cody, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us on a Friday evening. It sounds like you have places to be and things you got to do yet tonight before you go fishing again tomorrow. So thank you for that. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And we will have another one again next week, Wednesday.